Hello, and welcome back to the Bike Rumor Podcast. This week, I'm talking with Paul Budnitz, founder of Budnitz Cycles, and his business partner, who might just have the best name ever for a dude. I'll let you discover that in a minute. Budnitz Cycles is one of those brands that has definitely elicited strong emotions over the years, and they've made some beautiful bikes. So it came as quite a shock to me when they posted that they were shutting down. I wondered why, so I called up Paul to get the scoop. And his answer? Well, let's just say, this conversation does not disappoint. It's short, just 20 minutes, but worth the listen. And his advice for wannabe entrepreneurs at the end is priceless. Real quick, before we get started, can you look at that podcast player you're using right now and hit subscribe? Thanks. And if you dig this episode and the others, give us a five-star review. That stuff really helps, more than you can imagine. Thanks. All right, you ready? Here we go. What's up, Bike Rumor fans? I'm here with Paul Budnitz and the guy who worked with him to help design the bikes, Hunt. And sorry, Hunt, I didn't catch your last name. Manly. Manly, right on. So one of our readers saw that your website, who, by the way, was a huge fan of your bikes and I think owns one or more of them, uh, sent us a little note and said, hey, man, did you see that Budnitz Cycles is closing down? And I just reached out, wanted to see kind of what the story was and what's going to happen with the designs and the bikes and everything. Uh, yeah, man. Um, so I'll hunt. I don't know. I'll probably take turns, although I'll probably answer a lot of this stuff for a start. Uh, this is Paul, by the way. Um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, every we're a we're a small company, um, and we've really resisted the urge to grow to a big company. We really wanted to be able to continue to focus on just making a few great bikes for, for people. And um, I can talk a lot of the, about a lot of the struggles over the years. It's hard being a small bike company in a, you know, a world where bicycles have really been commodified. Um, and, uh, but, but the issue was we just really got, got hit by the lockdown. I mean, the bottom line is we were in the process of, turning this company, which I founded and Hunt owned part of really into a collective. So we were taking, we were taking the business and sort of by getting, getting all the employees bought in. Um, and then this hit us and, uh, you know, Hunt, Hunt knows we were on the way to a small business loan that stopped making sense. Um, sales just sort of plummeted. And at the same time, there were just massive supply problems with Shimano. How long does Shimano say it was going to be just to get hugged? Well, it's like out till July at this point. And it's been, it was one of those things where you come in and every day, it's been so uncertain for a little while anyway, as like a middle ground player, but we would come in and it would be like ETA one week out. And then you come in the next day, ETA three weeks out, ETA one month out. And it just kind of compounded more and more to where we only have a certain number of specific components that we choose. It's like a very curated spec. And so when we can't get what we need, it really kind of cripples our ability to deliver. And that can shut things down, even without a pandemic, it slows things down in a weird way. Yeah. And, and really, this is, you know, when you're a small company like this, it's really a hand, hand-to-mouth business. I mean, you can think of it almost like a restaurant or something. There's no capital. There's no capital to hold the, the company together. If you, and if it, when we looked at this, we're like, sales have slowed down. We're having, we actually sold off. We you know, had to start selling off our stuff and we decided we were just not going to make it. So we sold off the, a lot of the remaining bikes and, and with a lot of gratitude to a lot of the fans of the brand just kind of come in, came in. And I think there was like way more demand than bikes actually. Um, yeah. 
And waiter, and the problem was we we actually have frames that are we still have frames that we can't sell because we can't get components to sell them, and we can't afford to keep the staff going, um, but for the uncertain amount of time before we'll be able to get the components to build the bikes again. I mean, if it takes five months, you can imagine, you know, five months of salaries and overhead and everything before we could ship anything again, and it just between that and everything else, it just seemed like it was just not going to work. And this is after 10 years of, you know, the company's done great for 10 years. So we feel very successful. It's just, we, it's, it is a sort of sad thing. It sounds like a kind of a weird timing of trying to pivot the business to a different model and then all this hit. And so why not just sell the frame sets? Um, well, we've talked about it. We have, we have been selling some frame sets. Um, I think that, there's a little bit of a barrier for folks looking to buy a frame set. You're looking for that specific person that understands the belt drive and they're going to build it themselves. And there's a lot of questions around it. There are proprietary components on these bikes that like I'm not going to be able to get or do. And it's kind of a yes and no situation. So it's, it's, there's not a huge market it seems for frame sets. That said, we've sold a handful since we've kind of made this announcement internally. So we've been reaching out to our, our newsletter and like, existing customers and that kind of thing but really we've been selling through complete bikes and just are inundated with with sales at this point which is kind of a funny thing going out with a bang like that yeah it's awesome and then anything that's left over we have a local bicycle charity here called um bike recycle vermont yeah right and they they basically give bikes away train people to become bike mechanics um they work they work with kids they work with people out of prison they work with anybody really and so um we decided that we're going to give whatever's left over uh to the basically the charity so that's a good ending too yeah man that's um it's a bummer because the bikes are absolutely gorgeous i mean it's been quite a few years since i've ridden one but i i really like the one that i did ride um what's next i mean it seems like you've got all this intel and you know you had the the resources there to build what, uh, like, does it just kind of all go down the drain and you guys just walk away or is there a chance of a reboot down the road? Well, I mean, I, I think for that to happen, we need to find um, an investor, someone who wanted to come in and really invest a significant amount of money into building the company back up. I mean, the the brand's still strong. The designs are all, are all our own and they're here. Um, and we had, and Hunt designed the most remarkable electric bike. I think. I mean, it's, it's, how much does that thing weigh? 38 pounds. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's super, for an electric bike, it's super, super, super crazy light. And it's um, not overpowered. It's actually a cyclist electric bike. And so it, it has a, a, a fantastic range. And, but unfortunately, a lot of this stuff is, unless, you know, I guess we're on a, we're on a podcast now. So if there's some <laughs> awesome investor who wants to step up and do this, it just, between everything that was going on, you know, just the idea of going out during a pandemic and looking for investors just seemed like it didn't make any sense to everybody. And it's in, to me, the, the sad thing was that we were right on the, we were right on the line of being able to get this thing employee owned. And, and the problem with a, you know, anyone who's run a small business knows it's all about, you just need, you just need working capital. And when the loans dried up and we even applied for um, one of the government loans that hasn't come through you know a lot of big companies apparently have got it but the little ones haven't so we didn't we haven't had any government help either unfortunately and that that's playing into the decision as well hmm. yes yeah, so bummer so do you think um you know hindsight being 2020 like the decision to stay really small and kind of like small owned 
uh, was still the right decision or would you be in a better shape if you had kind of grown and sold more bikes? Well, I think it was the right decision because I, you know, having, I run big companies, I don't hunt how you feel about that. Like, what do you, do you want to answer that one? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we've built a really strong brand around what I consider as more of like a, a quote unquote industry guy. I consider more of actually like a semi custom fit. So we fit between the small time handmade builder and who's doing the one off fit, fit you up, build you, cut your tubes, build your frame. We sit between them and we sit between the bigger guys, Trek, you know, specialized Canyon, all those guys. And we fit in this very niche market of doing like, quicker delivery, still customizable to get you fit perfectly, get you a bike that is your dream bike, going to check all the boxes without having to make any changes. And we built a customer base around that expectation. And so, in fact, we have looked at scaling up a little bit and doing a line of bikes. Our alpha model actually was our first kind of quote-unquote pre-configured model where we took that, we developed an aluminum frame, um, we implemented all of the componentry and tech that we have on our high-end tie stuff, and we were manufacturing and assembling that in small quantities overseas. And so in Taiwan, we're putting these bikes together, trying to bring the price point down, increase volume a little bit. And what we ran into in that scenario was that folks knew us as this customizable brand. And so when you do a pre-configured offering like that, you find people still want to change the handlebar and change the brake set and do different pedals. Essentially, didn't work. And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, when how are we going to say no? Yeah. And so, when you have a bike where it's like, man, this is an awesome bike. This should suit 85% of the people that want to buy this bicycle at a slightly lower price point. It's still not an inexpensive bike, or wasn't, but it gave you a lot of bike for the money. Um, the issue is being the small fish in the big pond overseas, trying to do production runs of 25 or 50 bikes where you're kind of constantly in that sample quantity zone and finding the right people that are meeting our quality expectations and all that. And, and then like having the product ready and still having to spend, you know, anywhere from four hours to 14 days with a potential customer to get that sale closed. It just didn't, it didn't add up. So (laughs) we, we took that approach and it's like, you know, it's, it's equivalent to, we started with a really, really custom boutique high-end product and then tried to go down a little bit and people had these expectations, which made it hard. And I think it would, would have been just as hard for us to start at that lower level and work our way up. It's just, it's difficult to go either way. And I think we learned that. So in the last month or so, we made the call to pull all the pre-configured stuff and just say, hey, we'll start at a slightly lower price point with an alloy frame and make it customizable and go from there, which was we were seeing success in that, um, but uh, it just comes down to so many things at play, being that middle ground company with like supply chain, trying to play some production and manufacturing overseas and balancing that with high-end manufacturing in Germany and Italy and the U.S. Like bringing all that stuff together at a mid-scale is really difficult. And so there's the long-winded version of like, yeah. what we did try to do in that regard. <laughs> and why. But, but I think the one of the, the real problems why that didn't work <laughs> is because when it came down to it, like when a customer would call and say, can I change the handlebars? Can, can I paint it yellow? Can I, we'd always just kind of want to give them <laughs> <laughs> like, it was like, 
we cared a bit too much, probably. I'd agree. Uh, you know what I mean? Because could, we could have just been Henry Ford, but... Uh, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say no when you want to keep everybody happy, but... Yeah, it, do, all, it all comes it comes down to what you want to do. And I think that we we decided we'd rather go out of business having integrity with our customers and our suppliers and everything else and, and do our best than um, create, make crappy bikes. We, that, we didn't know that's the decision we were making. <laughs> <All right. laughs> the problem is, you know, the thing about the bicycle, and you know this, like, I mean, we talked about this maybe in an interview years ago. You When you buy, you know... X giant brand bike. We know this really well because we've used manufacturers overseas. And you buy, you buy, you spend a thousand dollars on like some tricked out mountain bikes. You know how much production money is actually in that if you include all the markups? That thing costs about one hundred and twenty-five dollars to make. Really, maybe two hundred hunt. I'd say closer to the two fifty. Yeah, all right. So two fifty is going to be on the lowest. We're not talking about giant, but if you're talking about giant or one of those companies, man, they're making that shit for seventy-five dollars. The point is, it's like, you know, when you go to a smaller company like us, like Indie Fab and like all in like Rivendell, I mean, those guys are, are in a different, 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 um, completely different league of what they do, I would say, but, but a similar business model, you know, like the deal is when you go to a company like that, that's really not wholesaling, you're, you're paying for a much smaller markup. And that's the reason why you're getting a much better bike. But for us, it becomes really difficult because we, we're much more sensitive to all kinds of little, whether it's seasonal or pandemic and really not, you know, we don't have the, we don't own the factory, you know what I mean? And we tend to be the end of the supply chain and, and we're insisting on highest quality at the same time. So it's just, I, I mean, I would say that like, I, there's a great business here that needed probably half a million to a million dollars that we didn't, that, they, that we didn't have. And then in, in fact, we were putting together as part of the employee owned business to really create a long-term model, but that, you know, this just is knocked out the ability to do it. Yeah, well, I think that's one thing a lot of people who aren't in any kind of industry don't realize is that, yeah, when you're, when you go from like the prototype stage and you're building one or two up to, you know, even maybe like under a hundred frames, a lot of these big manufacturers for them, that's, it's almost not worth their time to change the line over. So not only do you, kind of have to fight to get production time but then a lot of times i've heard stories where they just get pushed back and pushed back and you know it becomes an unreliable production timeline for you oh, yeah. which makes it really yeah, tough I mean, to run a that. business <laughs> it yeah. does we've had i mean i have to say that hunt really worked out amazing suppliers because it's a relationship-based business you know they stuck with us kind of remarkably yeah i think we were lucky in that that regard but i can definitely like i can definitely confirm what you're saying there as far as being pushed around a little bit as the little guy yeah but we have found some great people to work with and the best titanium frame makers anywhere and the steel frames are just and even the aluminum ones which is unbelievable so awesome. in a lot of ways the nice thing about having a good brand the brand value is that all those people want to work with you too that did carry some weight for sure yeah so you know even like gates we were the show child for gates and the whole, you know, when we started out, we were probably the only company doing mail order bikes practically. I mean, mail order mean you would one of the first customer direct companies. Yeah, we customized it online, and now that's very common. But ten years ago, I, when I started doing this, I was like, "What? You know what I mean? No one's going to buy a bike you can't ride first. Yeah, there's actually pushback. Yeah, oh, I mean, there's still a little bit of pushback, but I think you know it's just kind of become it's going to happen no matter what. But yeah, you're right. You guys were certainly early on that bandwagon there. 
Cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing the story. Um, I, I guess like one last thing, because I know there's there's still a lot of people out there dreaming and you know wanting to start a bike brand, whether it's just components or complete bikes or whatever. Like, is there kind of one takeaway from this you'd want to share with them just to help them along? Huh. <laughs> I would say that my I've started a lot of businesses, and I would say after ten years, I would call this like massive success. I mean, we've got thousands and thousands of the worst, some of the greatest bikes out there and people riding that that were, probably wouldn't otherwise be riding. And I would say that having started businesses, one of the best things you can do is get yourself into so much trouble that like borrowing money, you know, and also just saving space that you have to follow through. Like essentially a lot of people want to play it safe and start a business. Those people either really never do it or, they, or they, they chicken out right away. The only way to do this is to get yourself so fucked, excuse me, <laughs> so, that you have to make it successful. And I think that that's, I mean, I'd say like Huntsman, maybe one of the best people I've ever worked with because he's been just kind of relentlessly, relentlessly there, you know? And, and that's, and, and so, I don't know, I would, I would encourage everyone to try it. I think that, uh, uh, I think that bikes are wonderful because they're one of the last things you can build build out of off the shelf and custom components. There's nothing else you can't do that with cars anymore. You can't do it. I mean, besides maybe printing your own T-shirts, it's like it's one of the last things we can actually buy pieces of things and put them together and create something. Then the thing I make is different than the thing that you make, and I think that's the really wonderful thing about bicycles. Um, and it's it's um, it's a great way to lose a lot of money. <laughs> I say it's a way you can be proud to lose money this way. Huck, Huck, you want to add something? Yeah, I think as the product guy and the guy that's been behind kind of growing what we've built at Budden's Bicycles, I think I've been a bike guy my entire life. And I think as someone looking to start out in this, I think this is applicable in a lot of business settings, but taking the time to reach out to people in the industry, talk to people, so many people in the bike industry are willing to talk and share their horror stories or the good stories and all that stuff. A lot of people are interested in new things and growing the industry. It's an industry of passionate people. So not being afraid to pick up the phone or just send out 10 emails to people. Um, and then also being unafraid to, to just call. Yeah, just call people and be in touch. And I think another big thing is timing is, is key with a lot of things. But like, days equate to weeks so if you're trying to make something happen you don't wait to the end of the day to respond to that email about a sample you're trying to get done because if you don't make that comment that day you're going to be a week out and if you yeah. don't do it the next day you're a week out and then you're like missing your launch date by a month so, but i think i think it's just being in touch with people in the industry and tapping into people yeah. that maybe know more than you and are willing to teach you and then taking that and running with it and teaching yourself and staying educated and driven i think yeah it's, it's all doable and it's as long as you got that passion and drive yeah and if there's anyone out there with a million somewhere between a million <laughs> million dollars and who feels like losing it um or getting or and building a super successful company i would you know we're we're here for another month or so and i think yeah history <laughs>
I think, and we're gone to charity, man. <laughs> I, think I, just, I think I just said passion, and I think that was a bad word because I think we've had a little too much passion and not quite enough business sense to, like, make it successful. It's been a total passion project beyond, like, how are we going to get rich and make this work? Right. That's that hand-to-mouth, like, let's build a better product. Oh, fuck it. Not good enough. Yeah. Do it again. Not good enough. Do it again. Oh, no, we're out of money. <laughs> That's what you need. You need the investor with right. the business sense. No, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think, I, and I think it's just actually at this point, I think we so that the timing of this is so unfortunate because it, I think after ten years, we really know what we're doing. I've really built these incredible new bikes. We have so many amazing bicycles just on, just ready to go, and we just got just got the wind knocked out of us. We just like just have zero capital, and there's and there's nowhere to go. So who knows? We're gonna hang on to everything, yeah. But. It's, yeah. it's we got a lot of time to take a step back and reboot and see what the future holds. Okay. We should say thank you. Thanks to everyone who bought the bikes. Yeah. Oh, and I would like to add, Tyler, that we um, we've held upheld like very high levels of customer support. I think we know majority of our customers by name, which is so fun and fantastic. We're going to keep our landing page up for the unforeseeable future. We're going to have a contact email address there. So. We're going to stay in touch with people that do own bicycles and provide any sort of service input we can. Um, it may be limited communication, but that's something we feel pretty strongly about. And just as a, a lifetime bicycle, we want to make sure people feel comfortable with that. Yeah. And I think it's also worth plugging that there isn't anything crazy proprietary with these bicycles. Any bicycle yeah. shop with a reputable service department is going to be totally capable of servicing any necessary issues or finding components so that's that's to the end we're going to support our customers through that way yeah awesome so if somebody wants one of the remaining stock maybe even just as a collector's item that hopefully they'll ride they can uh, just reach out to you guys off the website they can reach out to us i'm afraid yeah we have very limited inventory and pricing yeah so it would be at this point it would be a frame sale um when we started making internal announcements to people we started small by just reaching out to friends of the brand, loyal folks that maybe own one or two bikes already and saying, here's, here's the trajectory, here's what's happening, buy a bike. And we were inundated with sales. So we're actually just like, our production queue is slammed right now. We don't have, we literally can't sell more bikes right now because we can't build them. Um, so if someone, the it's, yeah, <laughs> we don't have the parts or the bandwidth manpower much. But if someone wants a frame set, um, we have limited availability, but they're welcome to reach out to us at hello at budnessbicycles.com and we'll see what we can do. Cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for the time and, yeah, you know, good luck with whatever the future holds. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. Super good talking to you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. So real quick, I just wanted to share that this podcast is really our excuse to call up some super interesting people and have some really interesting conversations with them about things that aren't so tech focused. You know, on Bike Rumor, on the website, we really focus on the products and the tech mainly. But here, we want to kind of have a conversation and get to know the people behind the brands and behind the products. But we really want to interview the people you want to hear from. So if you go to bikerumor.com slash podcast, there's a form there that you can fill in ideas for who we should interview or topics we should cover. And then we'll go find those people or find the best experts to have a conversation with. Thanks a lot. And if you like this, share it with a friend. Cool. All right. See you next time.